When you're looking for this comfort food, you can find it in the aisles of any supermarket or under the bed of most college dorm rooms. And if you're wary of noisy eaters, you probably won't like the inevitable sounds of patrons taking satisfying slurps as they consume this dish in places that serve it. If you haven't guessed yet, I'm talking about noodles. Love and nuts and noodles, lots of monkey doodles, bring them back alive. March is Noodle Month, declared by the National Pasta Association. This half hour will be dedicated to segments about noodle culture in New York City. This is Cityscape, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Morlene Chin, sitting in for George Bodarchy. The noodle scene in New York is exploding, or as Zagat blogger James Mulcahy puts it, New York is noodle crazy right now. It almost is to be a popular news shop these days, you need to wait for at least 45 minutes to get in. We'll hear more from him later about where to get your best bowl of noodles in the city. But first, a New York noodle story that dates back to the 1960s. It turns out, noodle fever isn't new in New York City. This one dish in particular, cold sesame noodles, cropped up all over Manhattan in the 60s and 70s. But it was Shorty Tang's noodles that drew the crowds. After immigrating from Taiwan to New York in 1967, Shorty Tang opened a string of restaurants, first on 94th and Broadway, then on St. Mark's Place, another by Irving Plaza. Finally, in 1974, he opened a restaurant called Hua Yuan on East Broadway and served tenement dwellers and celebrities alike until he died in 1976. His son, only 18 at the time, took over the business until it closed in 1992. How you doing? Uh, I'm Jerry Tang. I'm the uh, Huayuan restaurant successor. <laughs> My father was Shirley Tang. I have a lot of memories in Huayuan, but most of all, um, foremost, uh, I, like, I like the clientele. The, the, the customers is phenomenal customers. They, in back those days, we have a mix. We have Italian, Jewish, about 85% Jewish clientele, and they know food. You know, they know food, they, they appreciate a good restaurant. They come, they, they always line up and uh, uh, support us. And Italians who, uh, we don't get that much Chinese, believe it or not, like those days. But I guess uh, we're way ahead of our times. And uh, to this day, they still say hello to me. I mean, this is about 40 years afterwards. So that means we must do something right. I think Willie Allen was there one time. Uh, Eli Wallace and Jackson left David Letterman's. Susan Antong, Steve McQueen. You know, Ali McGraw. And uh, the one I like the most, well, uh, Jeff K. Jr. And uh, let me tell you, Jeff K. is a good looking guy. I visited Jerry's house in Queens to talk to him and his two sons. I'm Casey. I am the youngest one. <laughs> I'm Gilly. I am the oldest. <laughs> Casey and Gilly had never met their grandfather and didn't hear much about him. There was a passing story here and there, but nothing more than that. Then, in 2007, Sam Sifton, who was the culture editor at the New York Times, wrote an article about the cold sesame noodles. It wasn't until then that they started to learn about Shorty Tang and the popularity of Hua Yuan. So that got me intrigued, and then I started looking at forums, or like just looking online, and people like searching for these things. And it's, at this point, it was 2007, the restaurant closed in 92. So I'm like, this is insane, like what is going on? Like, who what were the guy? things people were saying? This like, oh, I can't find anything like this. Can anyone tell me where I can find it? Like, um, so there was a lot of that. Like, oh, I'm in California. I've been eating my way around, trying to find something that's equivalent to like Hawaiian's cold noodles. So then I asked my dad about it. And, and he was really passive and tight-lipped about it. 
Casey got the idea to bring the noodles back, but his dad refused to tell him what the recipe was. So he turned to his brother, who was training to become a chef. He was like, don't bother me with this stuff. Yeah. Because I think he, on that, at that time, Gilly was really into being a chef, like a fancy chef. Yeah, fancy, fancy chef. Fancy, chef. fancy, fancy chef. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When did you turn around? Well, so I was in Georgia at that time. And then I came home to New York because, you know, New York is, you have to train in New York, become one of the best cooks, best chefs. So I came back and when we read that article, we took it, I think collectively, we took it very seriously. So, you know, I worked on my dad and I worked it, I worked it, I worked it, I researched it. We did group tasting with other people, for friends and families. And, it's, and I got actually to a recipe because it was never a recipe form. It was never quantities or this amount of ounces or this and that. So I got to a point where okay, I can create a consistent, consistent sauce every time I make it. And now we're at that point where it's pretty much consistent. And I can, like, okay, I know something, if I, if I know something's wrong with it, I can fit, quickly fix it. Once the article came out, the Tang family received tons of emails from people who missed Shorty Tang's noodles and were asking them to bottle the sauce. And they considered it. Casey finally got the recipe out of his dad and convinced his brother to make and sell the noodles at a weekly food festival in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. So we thought, let's, let's see, let's build clientele. Let's see if this is for real. And if people really want to eat this and if, if it's worth our while to even to do the R&D to put the sauce in the bottle. And boy, we were surprised. <laughs> To say the least, I mean, we, in the initial beginning, we had like 25 person weights and, you know, New York Times, magazines, uh, critics. I mean, it was... I think the most touching part was the old right. seeing the old wine customers. That was probably the most amazing part of it. It's yeah. like these people from like 35 years ago, and they now they live in like Boston, Westchester. They drive all the way down here, and they like buy 10 orders. <laughs> and they like leave. Yeah. It's crazy. And like, um, we heard some crazy stories. One guy was like, when I was nine years old, I would go with my grandparents to Hawaii. Now, now he's like 30 something. And he's like, I, I think when I eat these, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and I was like, that is so cool. Like these like insane stories. That's, that's like the best part for me. It's like bringing it back to these people who are so passionate about it. And it's almost multi-generation. Like keep like people's, you know, Grandparents used to bring their kid, like the grandkids, over to Hawaiian, things like that. Their parents now they're older, but for their own kids, it's a classic. It's pretty crazy. Say, it's a classic Chinese American dish, because it's not like you hear it from China or Taiwan. Oh, cold sesame noodles, you gotta not from Chinese people, but from you know Americans, like... Caucasians, Jewish predominantly. It's a it's a Chinese American like New York City. Probably. It's a New York City Chinese yeah. American dish, and they they love it. It's like it's like a classic. What was it about these noodles that stood out? Why did people have such an emotional connection to them? It's a simple dish, basically noodles in a sauce made of sesame paste, peanut butter, and chili oil. But they were different. The cold sesame noodles represented great steps forward for Chinese food in the United States. Before that time, it was chop sweet in the 60s. You know, chow mein, lao mein, that's, that's, that's not Chinese food. This is American, American version of the fast food for Chinese. It's almost like it's like takeout Chinese, like the way it is right now, right? It's just like kind of this bland. Well, like, I think it's stuff. worse than that. <laughs> yeah, because everything is dyed, it's colored dyed, it's like MSG. Right. And so, so it's like fast food. Eh? Right. So then why like Shorty Tang was such a phenomenal is because they were the first like 
kind of authentic yes. Chinese cuisine, yes. like Sichuan, especially Sichuan, which yes. has a crazy flavor profile yes. that yes. many Americans at that time had never had. Right. And I think that's what gave it kind of that. That's why it became so phenomenal. Like you were saying, like if yeah. the restaurant was three floors and there would be a line out the door. From oh, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, every day for like, for ten years. I think that time, I think deal with the hippie generation, like Generation X now. I think that's, they just remember that memory, that fond memory, and it happened to be the right place, right time. In his article, Sam Sifton wrote that this style of cooking became as much a part of 1970s Manhattan as cocaine and disco. But what about now? Will the Tang family bring the noodles back to New York for good? For now, they say, they're working on bottling the sauce and taking the opportunities Shorty Tang's legacy has left them. When we first started, we are just kind of like, let's just make it and see what happens. And, and next you know, we're doing events for Paper Magazine. Win awards. I won an award for oh, yeah, Zagat. <laughs> Zagat, 30 on the 30. <laughs> I mean, I, I got a job as a personal chef. For a Russian billionaire. <laughs> it's for a Russian yeah. billionaire and a supermodel. And it's crazy. He, the, the gentleman will always say, Gilly, I love your noodles. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so does other people, too. And lucky for us, because of a good story and the history and making the effort to make a great product is what it's all about. Noodles, you can stretch them for a mile. Noodles, guaranteed to make you smile. That was Jerry, Gilly, and Casey Tang. They're the descendants of Shorty Tang, purveyor of a popular noodle dish in New York's Chinatown in the 1970s. You're tuned to Cityscape, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Maureen Chen. If that story got you craving a bowl of noodles, listen up to find out where you can get your fix. James Mulcahy writes for Zagat's New York City blog and made a list of some of the best noodle shops around town. He's with us on the phone. James, you wrote an article listing the best noodle shops in New York City. Tell me about this list, and why were you the person to go seeking the best noodles? Sure. Actually, for Zagat, we, we actually don't make the lists ourselves. The lists are decided on reviews and ratings from all of our Zagat surveyors. So we surveyed thousands of people in New York, and based on their votes, we developed the scores that say which noodle place is the best. So the top ramen shop on the list would have been decided on based on the feedback from New York City diners around, you know, going to these places and really voting on them and giving their feedback. And did you read these reviews and go to some of the places yourself? Well, I actually have been to many of the shops myself just because, you know, once I see that the Zagat Raiders are saying something is good, I, of course, have to go check it out and see if I agree. But I, you know, the lists are compiled by our editors and they get published in our books. Um, you know, the Zagat guides that you would just see on the bookstore shelf. And then we republish them on the website and the blog so that digital readers can look at them as well. Once the, the scores are compiled and the list is made, I will go out and do reporting on the different noodle shops and visit them, see if they live up to the hype. I know for these noodle shops, we did a lot of other stuff around them because a lot of them have long lines and long waits and kind of giving advice on how to get in and when to go and what's a good time to go try the noodles. What are the places on this list? Which ones did you try? There should be 
eight, I think, on current list, which is from our 2013 New York City Restaurant Guide. And the big story this year coming out of our noodle list was that a newer place, Tato Ramen, which is located in Hell's Kitchen, was number one. And that's surprising because Lower East Side has a place called Apudo, which has traditionally been the top spot, you know, years and years in a row. And there's a lot of people waiting outside of there, always looking to go. But this year it was the smaller noodle shop that was voted the best. And it's a tiny little place that always has a really long line right outside of it. And that was kind of a surprise internally to see that that was voted the number one. And then below that, there's a lot of other Manhattan-based noodle shops and a lot of really ramen-heavy shops as well. There are some soba shops, some other types of noodles, but really ramen was the story coming out of this list. Do you have a background in noodles? What to you makes a good bowl of noodles? You know, I don't have a background in noodles, but I think that just dining in New York, the noodle scene and the ramen scene is so exciting right now that it's hard not to indulge in that. I mean, my noodle background might just be, you know, being a college student and heating up that top ramen at 2 a.m. on nights that that I might have stayed out a little bit longer than I should have. But the noodles that are being made today in New York and the noodles that are on this list really have that same sort of kind of comfort food aspect that that 2 a.m. ramen had in college, but they're really taking it to the next level. So all of these places are using really fresh seasonal ingredients. They're sourcing amazing pork. They're doing creative things with the noodles that, you know, go beyond just kind of the, the standard noodle shop noodles you would get even as a college student. And did these places live up to the hype when you visited? Well, you know, there's, there's two sorts of hype, I feel like, surrounding this. Does the bowl of noodle taste as amazing as it it would be on the best news of New York list? And the answer is absolutely yes. But there's the second sort of hype is what I was saying before. There's all these lines that are outside these noodle shops. New York is noodle crazy right now. So you you go to these shops, and it's almost it almost is to be a popular noodle shop these days. You need to wait for at least 45 minutes to get in. So do they live up to the hype of waiting 45 minutes, even an hour or more in some cases, kind of outside in line to be able to sit down and have a bowl of noodles? If it's a little cold out, yes, probably. Um, But I personally try to go when it's a little bit off hours so I can get a seat a little bit more quickly. Tell me about the testimonials. What were Zagat reviewers saying about these places? You know, looking at something like Tato Ramen, people are saying that um, the noodles are, quote, insanely delicious. And it's something that we notice with all the top noodle shops is people love it because it's cheap. You know, people are calling out that this is not a dish that you have to go spend $35 or $40 even on dinner. You can get out of these places spending less than $20. Uh, at many of the top noodle shops, you know, the noodles are priced between $10 and $15 a bowl, and a, a, one bowl of noodles is really a full meal. So not only is it delicious, not only is it comforting, it does have the, the price aspect on its side that makes it very popular. Um, people are also saying, you know, people are, when they're giving us the comments for Zagat, are saying that these places are very hyped. So they do have that kind of working against them. You know, they go and they do have to weigh in that line. But it seems that people, for the most part, at least our reviewers and surveyors for these shops on our list, say that the the noodles do live up to the hype. And maybe that's because they only end up spending $20 when they're in there, but it seems that they're delivering at least as far as our surveyors are concerned. It sounds like there's a standard for what good noodles are, so it doesn't depend on preference. Maybe some people like their noodles al dente and others on the other end like theirs a little bit mushier. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know anyone personally who likes mushy noodles, but I, I imagine that that audience is out there somewhere. I mean, I think the kind of common element that will tie these noodles together is the, the base 
I mean, the broth is going to be kind of either a pork broth or maybe a miso or fish broth. And it really, the broths really hit those umami notes of flavor. So it's comforting, it's hot, it's steamy, and it, it's really overwhelming your palate with a little bit of saltiness, a little bit of savoriness. And despite, you know, there's different types of noodles, there's ramen, there's soba, there's, you know, thick, there's thin, but the broth is really what I think is drawing these people in. And whether you're vegetarian or whether you're a meat eater, there's always going to be a little extra, like a little surprise in these bowls at these restaurants at least. You know, if you want a cup of noodles, you can go get a cup of noodles, and that's that. But this is not that. This is really fresh cuts of pork, awesome poached eggs kind of thrown in, kimchi, you know, other vegetables and other ingredients that are really making these special. Now, all the places on this list serve Asian cuisine. Are you defining noodles as only the Asian type? What about pasta? We actually have a different category for Italian cuisine and pasta. So for our list of noodle shops, um, you know, we're kind of looking at the traditional style Japanese and Asian noodle shops, at least in this category. I mean, there's plenty of Italian restaurants that do noodles and do pasta, but these shops on this list really, it's, it's their signature dish. It's one of the only things they do, if not the only thing. So, for instance, when you go to Tata Ramen, really what you have to choose from is probably five or six types of noodles, and that's it. Um, so they're not, you know, they don't have charcuterie. They don't have all this other stuff that the Italian restaurants might have. What brought you to Zagat? Are you a foodie? Oh, am I a foodie? Well, I think the first rule of actually being a foodie is that you have to hate being called a foodie. Um, so that would mean the answer is yes for me. But I've been working at Zagat now for about a little over two years, almost approaching the three-year mark. And I, you know, I just have been in New York for a while, and I used to work in restaurants. I actually used to bartend at a number of New York City restaurants. And I think once you start kind of experiencing all the awesome stuff that New York restaurants have to offer, you can really never go back to just, you know, having that burger or getting that frozen meal. So I just really started exploring the New York restaurant scene as a consumer, but also as an industry person. And I loved it. And I started my own personal blog, which is called NY Barfly, about drinking in the city. And from there, I started working at Sagat. And now I get to go try all these awesome noodle shops, which I'm not complaining about. And finally, the big fork or chopstick or spoon debate. Uh, What is the proper way to eat noodles? Well, I definitely think that the proper way to eat noodles is that you shouldn't be slide a slurp. You know, these places are very no-frills. They are counters for the most part. And, you know, you're stuffed in there like sardines with a bunch of people elbow to elbow. And you can just pick that bowl right up and go ahead and put your face in it because no one is going to be judging at this place. These places, if anything, they're going to be applauding you for eating it properly. Um, Personally, I prefer the little soup spoon that comes with the noodle to do the broth, and then I'll have a chopstick on the side to kind of scoop up all the goodness that's inside. Because as I was saying, it really is more about the broth, but also like all the fresh ingredients, the locally sourced meat and produce that people are putting in their bowls. So it's kind of hard to really do it justice unless you do have that chopstick with you at your side. The places on this list are all in Manhattan. What about noodle shops in other boroughs? The noodle shops on our Zagat list are really, really well-regarded and very kind of popular. They're all very Manhattan-based. But if you want to see some awesome and interesting things happening with noodles, I would definitely say that you should go to Brooklyn right now because there's been a a wave of new noodle shops opening in Brooklyn that have been kind of taking the Japanese and the Asian model and really modifying it and running with it in some interesting ways. For instance, there's Dasara Ramen Shop in Brooklyn, which is actually doing something they call Brooklyn-style ramen. So 
they're taking the traditional Japanese ramen and adding stuff that you would see in Brooklyn. So they have a deli ramen, which you can get kind of pastrami inside of there, and other ingredients that you might see in the deli, you know, right in there with your ramen. And there's another place in Brooklyn, um, which is more in Williamsburg, that is doing some kind of unconventional ramen with charred apple noodles and Brussels sprouts and pickled carrots. So there really are, you know, some exciting things happening outside of our list that, you know, maybe they'll be on the list in the years to come, but are new and different and, you know, not something that you would see at these traditional shops. Okay, James, thank you so much for talking with me. Awesome. No problem. It was great to talk to you. James Mulcahy writes for Zagat's New York City blog at blog.zagat.com. Ivan Orkin is opening a New York noodle restaurant you might see on next year's Zagat list. Ivan's love for all things Japanese got him into the business of making ramen noodles. I met up with him in the West Village. I'm really a Japanophile turned chef. I uh, majored in Japanese in uh, the University of Colorado in Boulder um, and lived in Japan for a number of years. Um, and then sort of didn't really know what I wanted to do in Japan at the time, so I moved back and I ultimately went to the Culinary Institute of America um, and uh, worked at Mesa Grill and Lutess and uh, a number of uh, uh, nice restaurants in the city and, um, and sort of uh, learned to be a cook. Okay, and, but how did you get started in ramen? Well, I ultimately I wanted to move back to Japan, so... Uh, um, my wife had a good job there and we just sort of sold everything and took the kids and moved uh, to Tokyo. Um, and my wife worked and I took care of the children. Uh, but after a couple of years I was getting pretty bored and uh, I decided I, I wanted to open a, a business. Um, so we thought about all different types of restaurant options and ultimately we, uh, sort of, we, were, we, were, we were sort of obsessed with ramen. We were eating a lot of ramen. I've always loved it and I've always been very curious about how it's made. And so, with the, you know, there are no, no other Jewish guys from New York running ramen shops in Tokyo. There still aren't. Um, and uh, I thought it would be, be really fun and exciting and uh, either do really well or do really badly. So it's a really exciting uh, challenge. For a culture so steeped in tradition, how, how was it like opening a restaurant as a foreigner in Japan? Well, you know, it's funny, but I don't really see myself as a foreigner. I know that might sound weird, but I, I live in, you know, I live in Japan, and I, I had a, I had a home there, and my children went to school there, and uh, I speak the language, and I observe the culture, and uh, my wife is Japanese, and my in-laws are Japanese, so I mean, I'm, I live there like a regular Japanese person. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I'm Japanese, but I, I feel like uh, I, I belong there, and so I think when I opened the restaurant, I didn't really have an attitude like I was an outsider trying to do something odd. I tried to open a restaurant. I was very passionate about it. I, uh, I followed all the rules. I, I made a lot of friends in my neighborhood, and I worked really hard to fit in and, 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 and make a good product. And I, I think, you know, in Japanese, Jap Japan, even though I think that Japanese people can be a little skittish about, about outside people and new, and new cultures and things like that, and they're a little frightened of English, but um, they really respect hard work. Um, and uh, I think I was able to get, get a lot of support from the very beginning. For many people, when you mention ramen, you think of instant noodles, cup noodles, but we're not talking about that kind of ramen. Well, instant ramen is, it's, you know, instant ramen and ramen served in Japan is a completely different thing. 
So uh, uh, ra instant ramen is really has has no nothing nothing in common with with the ramen that they serve in Japan and, and now they're serving in New York and L.A. and so many places. Um, it's it's uh, ramen is a, is a, is a big bowl of soup that's flavored with melted fat and soy sauce, and depending on the flavor, all different kinds of very rich seasonings. And it has uh, noodles in it and uh, a lot of times chunks of pork belly and, and uh, uh, all different kinds of toppings. And um, it's really more like a complete meal. Um, and a good bowl of ramen is really delicious. It, it, just, it just has so much going on and so much depth of flavor and it's very fun to eat, you know, because to eat it properly you need to slurp the noodles and you make a lot of noise and you get very messy and it's, it's hard to stay clean, which in some ways can be really fun, you know. It's almost like eating ribs and, you know, it's, it's just the whole process of eating it is so much fun. Um, and I think ramen is similar in that respect. So there's a proper way to eat ramen noodles? Absolutely, because, uh, you know, ramen, I like to say to New Yorkers who are listening that it's, it's similar to uh, brick oven pizza. You know, when you, when you go to a good brick oven pizza place and uh, when it come, hits the table, people in the know realize they have a few minutes to eat it while it's still at its peak of freshness. It's, it's crispy and hot and bubbly and delicious. And even though it's almost a little too hot to put in your mouth and you might burn your mouth, you eat it anyway because that's when it's really delicious and it's crispy and crunchy and um, it's just a perfect thing to eat. And, and if you wait 10 minutes, it gets almost cardboard-like and the whole thing changes. And ramen is very similar, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's made up of melted fat. It's made up of perfectly cooked noodles that are al, al dente, you know, they have a real bite to them. The soup needs to be hot for all that stuff to work. And as you wait, it starts to cool down and the fat starts to solidify and the noodles start to soften and it really changes its personality. So you need to slurp the noodles to get them in your mouth. And, and when you slurp and you hear those people making all those noises, they do it for a reason because you're bringing a lot of air into your mouth to cool the noodles while you eat them. And when you slurp, a lot of the soup comes with the noodles. So you get the whole flavor of the dish in your mouth, not just noodles, but you get the soup in your mouth at the same time. Um, and then ultimately when you get really good at it, you get a rhythm. And you, you slurp and you eat a piece of meat and you sip some soup and you know, usually you can eat a bowl of noodles in, in five or ten minutes. Are there different variations to the ramen noodle? Oh yes, there's, uh, there's thick ones, there's really thin ones, there's ones that are uh, almost brittle, um, there's some that are super chewy, um, and like I said, one of the things that I've really loved about this business I've gotten into is I've gotten very sort of intellectual about about noodle making, um, and I've I've uh, uh, sourced many many kinds of flours, and uh, I use a lot of whole grain flours, and uh, um, and I've just made all different kinds of noodles of different thickness and different textures, um, and uh, and then matching them to to whatever vehicle they're going to take, whether it's a, a very thin soup or a thick soup or or, or something like that, and um, um, and so there can be many different kinds. Uh, the, I'm I, I I mostly make a noodle that has a very aromatic quality to it. I, I use a lot of uh, uh, rye uh, flour, whole wheat flour, stone ground flours. Sometimes I toast them. And um, really standard ramen noodle tends to, to be a little more eggy and, and uh, a one note. Um, ramen's not the most expensive thing. And, and I'm sort of on the higher end of ramen. I, I, pay, I pay more for my ingredients and I charge a little bit more. Um, in Japan, there are a lot of ramen shops where it's much less expensive than mine, and, and, and so they can't really afford to use 
fancy stone ground flowers that cost, especially in Japan, they're quite expensive. Um, so maybe they use only one kind of flower, whereas I'll use three. You are now opening a restaurant in New York City in the Lower East Side. Yes. I mean, ramen's very popular right now, and I have a pretty good brand, and uh, I'm very excited. To, and, and this is where I'm from, you know, even though Tokyo, I really consider my hometown, and, I'm, and I really love it there. Um, I also wanted to uh, come back to New York and, and have a shop in my hometown. What's this restaurant going to be called? And is the menu going to be different from your shops in Japan? Well, it's Ivan Ramen, because that's the shop. And um, I'll be doing uh, uh, dishes, uh, noodle dishes from both shops that I own in Tokyo, plus a few new ones. Um, and then I'll also be doing all different kinds of small plates um, and beer and sake and wine, cider. Is the New York palate different from that of Japan's? Aren't you making a dish specifically for New York's taste buds? Well, I mean, I don't really believe in necessarily cooking to people's taste buds. That's not what I do. I'm a chef. I make, I make good food. But I, what I did was rather than take my recipes and try to make them exactly the way I make them in Japan, I rethought everything. The water is different here. The flour is different here. The, the pork bellies are different here. The ingredients are different. So I just sort of went back and made myself retry everything with my new ingredients and, and try everything fresh. Um, and in the process, I've been coming up with new dishes that, that I just don't serve in Japan. I think uh, ramen is the uber comfort food. I think it's, uh, it's the next great thing just because it's, it's uh, reasonably priced, it's fun to eat, um, and it's, it's, it can be an artisanally made product, which means you know it's, it's well thought out and the ingredients are sourced, just like any other food that's popular these days. And, uh, um, and it's a very satisfying one-dish meal, and I think it's catching on and people are realizing just how uh, delicious it is. It's, a, it's an umami bomb. So. Thank you so much, Ivan. Great, my pleasure. Ivan Orkin is opening a restaurant in Manhattan's Lower East Side this spring. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Happy Noodle Month! Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and tell us what you think about the show. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. I'm Orlean Chin. Have a great weekend.